Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now. We ask that you will exalt yourself in our midst this morning. Father, we confess that we need you. We need you every hour of every day. We need your grace in our lives. We need your grace at work in our marriages. We need your grace in our families and amongst our neighbors. Father, we need your grace at work through this church to reach the lost here in King George. Father, we pray that you will do a mighty work both in us and through us. Father, we raise up the ABC ministry as we make plans to begin the outreach and the evangelism in our community. Father, we pray that you will go before us, that your grace will be evident, that your glory will be seen and will be praised, that you will save many. Father, we know that this is not the only church in King George, that there are other churches this morning who are coming together. I pray that preachers will preach your word as it's intended and that it will not fall on deaf ears, but the congregation will hear the truth of your word and will respond by your grace, through your power, by your spirit. Father, we raise up Colin Rieger and Grace Church Buchanan. Father, we pray that you will strengthen that body that you will use them in a mighty way there in central West Virginia to reach the lost, that they will be set apart, and that others will see Christ through that body. Father, we raise up the Tele people of India as we work our way through the 50 largest unreached people groups in the world. Father, over 17 million Tele people who don't have Jesus. They cannot enjoy salvation, that they stand condemned as of now, Father. We pray that you will bring more workers, more missionaries, to tell them that God is a loving creator who forgives sin, who gives abundant life in relationship with Him, that they don't need to seek the ways of this world, they don't need to follow this false religion of Hinduism, but may they hear the truth of the gospel. Father, may you save many of the Tele people. Father, with missionaries, we raise up this month the International Mission Board, IMB missionaries who have forsaken this life here in America. They have forsaken the comforts that we enjoy here, the ministry that's going on here. Father, you've called them to a new and different ministry. One that in some ways is harder. Father, we pray that you will strengthen our brothers and sisters overseas. That you will embolden them with courage. And may the truth of the gospel, may the the peace of the gospel, may the joy of the gospel be evident upon their lips and in their lives, in the relationships that they seek to form. And Father, may more churches be planted through them for your glory. Father, we ask that you will strengthen our brothers and sisters overseas. Millions of our brothers and sisters that are praising you today. Father, may we all as one people be strengthened by your word. May we be nourished this morning. Father, as we turn to your word, I pray that you will help us to see Jesus. 
that you will help us to know, to understand, and to love the good news of the gospel. Help us to love Christ and to seek after Him. Father, we pray through Your Word that You will reveal Your glory to us. It's by Your Spirit we pray. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll be looking at the first four verses this morning. And we'll be there in just a moment. In May of this year, Ben Sass, a U.S. Senator from Nebraska, wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal entitled, How to Raise an American Adult. In the article, Sass addresses the systemic problem in our society of adults who don't grow up. He called it perpetual adolescence, where the term adult has become a verb. Adulting is considered a bore, a necessary activity that should be avoided as much as possible. Growing up has become, and I quote, a kind of role-playing, a mode of behavior requiring humorous detachment, end of quote. Sass goes on to describe the crisis and his own thoughts and how to solve this problem. Seven years ago in the New York Times, an article was written entitled, The Long Road to Adulthood is Growing Even Longer. In that article, the author quotes a researcher that states, quote, A new period of life is emerging in which young people are no longer adolescents, but not yet adults. End of quote. There's this middle ground that has formed, an unknown state. And it's obvious that through the mainstream media, the message of the cultural superiority of youth is promoted, it's embraced, and it's lived out. We are led to believe that young people know the meaning of life and what's really important, although they're searching for meaning themselves throughout life. Adults are seen as aloof or have forgotten what's important. There's a term that's been circulated recently. It's called man-boy. These are males who are legally adult men, but yet they have no job and they're unemployed because they're not even looking for work. They usually have a dependence on alcohol, have an unhealthy addiction to video games, Enthusiasm for watching shows that reflect them in their state. Shows like The Family Guy are very popular. They're usually obsessed with porn and have no real relationships or depth. They are emotionally, physically, and mentally isolated. And they're trying to hold on to their childhood and their teenage years as long as possible. Now the world sees man-boys... The world sees this epidemic, and they see it as a problem. And they say these man-boys need to grow up. The world sees perpetual adolescence as a problem. Other articles have been written. Many books have been published on this topic. Researchers are trying to get to the root of the problem and fix it. There seems to be this growing epidemic and the world is trying to get a handle on it. Isn't it amazing that the problems in the world are really the reality of sin? 
When sin has a hold on you, you don't see the problem. The issue of perpetual adolescence, the issue of man-boys, and adults who don't grow up is simply sin. Sin is the cause. Sin causes people to turn inward and find satisfaction and gratification in the easiest, simplest, fastest way possible. Sin says to find my happiness in any way that I can. This is a problem, and the church is not immune to it. We are just as susceptible to this problem as anyone in the world. If we get sidetracked, we can become vulnerable to perpetual adolescence in our faith. Sin wreaks havoc on all of us if we're not careful. If we're not depending on the Spirit, sin will drive us away. And rather than it being a problem of not adulting, the problem in the church is not Christ-centering. The church is called to pursue Christ. Tim Keller calls this gospeling. The church taking the good news of Jesus Christ and asking ourselves, where does the gospel fit in my life today? How can I apply the gospel into every area of my life? How can Jesus make this area of my life better? The Corinthians had this problem. They were not centering on Christ. They weren't seeking Christ. They weren't humbly looking for Him in the Scriptures. Instead, they were boasting among themselves. Their faith wasn't growing and it was in danger of falling apart. Paul cares for them. He loves them. And so he warns them in our text this morning about the hazard of being spiritually immature. Let's look at our text, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 4. If you need a Bible, please feel free to grab one off the back counter. And as I read our text this morning, look how Paul talks about the dangers of perpetual spiritual adolescence. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? May God give us eyes to see Him in His holy word this morning, and a heart to love Him deeply and supremely in our lives. So far in 1 Corinthians, Paul has described for us two types of people. In chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, those who are perishing and those who believe in Jesus Christ. Two kinds of people there. Then in chapter 2, verse 6, those who have human wisdom and those who've been given the wisdom of God. And at the end of chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, you have the natural person and the spiritual person. In other words, those who are perishing use their human wisdom to get through life. Their focus is on the natural. They don't accept the things of God. 
This life is all there is. Their focus is on what they can physically see. They live it up and get what they can now because to them this is all there is. This is foolishness, God says. He calls it folly. They don't see life as it really is. They don't see purpose and fulfillment coming from God. They see it in gaining more and more in this world. Gaining Christ is not on their radar. Only immediate gratification. Only that which provides instant satisfaction. And their end is coming. Scripture says they are perishing. They are doomed to pass away. The other person are those who have been given the wisdom of God. They are now spiritual and they believe in Christ. The physical life is a preparation for the real, lasting life with Christ. They are in Christ Paul says. Their identity is found in Christ. Christ is their goal. He is their focus. To gain in life is to gain Christ. These people, Scripture says, have true wisdom. And they see life as it really is. Paul says in chapter 2, verse 6, Among the mature we impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. This is made possible only because of Christ's atoning work on the cross. Paul said in chapter 1, verse 30, Because of Christ, you are in Christ Jesus. This type of person is one who humbly accepts Christ. And in verse 30, They accept Him as their righteousness and their sanctification and their justification, their redemption. And their only boast is in Christ. Now I touched on this a little bit last week and said only those who are maturing in the faith can understand and follow Christ. By the Spirit, believers are given the wisdom to know truth, to accept the truth, to pursue the truth, and to grow in the truth. To grow in Christ. They are mature. They're maturing into fully grown disciples, to fully grown mature followers of Christ. When they reach that full maturity, they will be completely holy like Christ. Imagine that. Completely without sin. Incapable of sinning one day when we're with Christ. In our glorification, we will be conformed and transformed into the likeness of Christ for those who believe. Two types of people with two totally different ends, two totally different paths. There is no third option. Either God's grace is at work in a person's life, and He saves them into eternal fellowship with Christ, or a person is grasping at things in this life, and they're destined to pass away, and they stand condemned before God. The Corinthians' problem is that they know Christ. 
He has considered them, Paul has considered the Corinthians brothers and sisters. They have embraced Christ, but they're not pursuing Christ. They are not growing in their faith. They're not maturing. Their own pride has caused turmoil and division within the church body. In their pride, they have caused splits and fights among them. They are acting just like the unbelieving world. There is no difference between them and those outside of the church. They live as if there's no difference between them and anyone else in Corinth. Paul has called them sanctified in Christ Jesus back in the beginning of chapter 1. He said they're sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. They know the truth, but the problem is they're acting like they don't. This troubles Paul, and he sees great danger in this. Paul describes for us a people who believe in Jesus, but they act like they don't. Paul is giving them the benefit of the doubt, but their lifestyle does not resemble what they confess to love. In our text, Paul rebukes the Corinthians for what he calls immaturity. Childishness in those who know better and should be less like the world and more like Christ. He warns them of the folly of being merely human in their mindset and their lifestyle versus being a spiritual people, ones who pursue Christ with all their being. It's a warning this morning about spiritual immaturity. And to go even further, to give it even more emphasis, it's perpetual spiritual immaturity. This text is not a rebuke against young Christians who are new to the faith. This is admonishment to believers who know the truth, yet they refuse to pursue it. They confessed Christ, but they left it right there. Christ ought to be the center of all of the Corinthians' thoughts, all of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their desires, and He's not. Now, it's one thing to be an adolescent. A young person is learning. They're growing. They're becoming a mature person. Someone who's new to the faith should not be expected to understand or to act like someone who's been in the faith for a long time. There's much to learn. There's a lot in our heart that needs to conform to Christ. It's a lifetime of learning to apply the good news into every facet of our lives, every fiber of our being, being affected by the gospel. But for someone who has heard the good news, through repentance and belief, they have embraced Christ as their best and only hope of salvation. For them to live as if they don't have Christ, as if they're not in Christ, Paul says, that's dangerous. In our text, Paul lays out three dangers of perpetual spiritual immaturity. Number one, being a people who are not nourished. And we'll see that in verses 1 and 2. The second one, not being spiritual and being considered only human in verses 3 and 4. And number three, not being in fellowship with Christ. Three dangers of perpetual spiritual immaturity. 
Let's take them one at a time. First, a danger of perpetual spiritual immaturity is being a people who are not nourished. Please look with me again at verses 1 and 2. The mature have God's wisdom and have the mind of Christ, Paul said in chapter 2. The mature have God's wisdom, they have the mind of Christ, but I, brothers, and we learned brothers and sisters, right? This is all of us in Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not ready. So Paul, after saying the mature have been given the wisdom of God, and they have the mindset of Christ, he writes to his brothers and sisters this rebuke in our text. Please don't look at Paul as some spiritual snob. He's not being judgmental here to the Corinthians. Out of love for the Corinthians in the hope of revealing their sin and then repenting and once again pursuing Christ, Paul chastises them. It's with that in mind. Believers in the church ought to come alongside one another. We ought to help each other in pursuing Christ. Sometimes it takes rebuking the sin in each other's lives. Later in chapter 5, Paul will write that we ought to do this in the church God judges those who are outside of the church. We need to help one another in the church pursue Christ. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are means of God's grace working in our lives. We need to do it, though, with gentleness and respect, in humility and in love. This rebuke is given in hopes of waking the Corinthians up to their perilous condition. If something is not done, the church will implode. The gospel will not be seen as glorious. And ultimately, the most heinous of it all is that God will be dishonored. The ministry will not go forth in the community. And the Corinthians will have to answer before God. How awful it is to answer God on your own to have no mediator, no one to stand between you and your sin and God and His holiness. He's a consuming fire that penetrates the soul. And as a consuming fire, He either purifies us or He crushes us. Paul is warning the Corinthians to leave their pride and to run to Christ. And he uses lots of irony to get his point across. Paul says he wants to address them as spiritual, but they're acting like they are of the flesh. They are not the natural person described in chapter 2, verse 14. Paul addresses them as brothers and sisters. This is the fourth time that Paul has addressed them as family. They are brothers and sisters. He affirms that they are in Christ. They are in the faith but they're behaving like they're not. Paul is not admonishing them because they're babes in Christ. It's because they were acting as if they were babes in Christ, as if they were infants. 
They were not using their Christian minds to honor God. They were not filling their heads with truth. They were not humbling themselves before God and pursuing Christ's likeness. They were not Christ-centered in their living. They were accepting lies and they were living by those lies. The flesh was prevailing over the spirit. When Paul was there, when he originally went to Corinth and God established the church, Paul taught them the truth. They were given the message of the gospel and they were growing in the faith. They had limited experience of living by the Spirit and they were growing in the faith. They were maturing. Paul fed them with milk instead of solid meat. They were like babies who needed the truths of the gospel mashed into the bowls and spoon-fed. And at the time, this was a good thing. When the church was established and they were infants in Christ, this was a good thing. It's like what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. The purpose of the spiritual milk was to grow up in their faith, to grow in holiness, to become more like Christ. The spiritual milk was given only for a season. And as they grow, they were to develop an appetite for more substance. They were to crave the deeper truths of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ were to be what they desire. But Paul still had to treat them as if they were infants. They could not grow in the wisdom of God because they were not growing spiritually through God's Word and the life that Christ had achieved for them. They had other pursuits. They had other desires. They were inflicted with this perpetual spiritual adolescence. They were not being nourished with the truth. They had exchanged the healthy maturing in Christ for some cheap accolades and self-indulgent pride. Their childish mindsets put other things in the place of the gospel content. This made them vulnerable to sin. It left them weak to attack. It caused them to take their eyes off of Christ and look only to themselves. The gospel was not all-encompassing in their lives. Their self-confidence prohibited them from being strengthened with the gospel. They were drinking milk, and they needed meat. Milk does not satisfy the diet of an adult. For new babies, that's, that's all they have. That's all that they can take in is, is the milk. An adult needs a fuller, richer diet to strengthen them and to boost their endurance. Our spiritual appetite is the same. We need a diet of God's Word applied to our lives every day. Living as if we don't know these truths leaves us ill-nourished and dissatisfied. Our love for Christ is fed by the truth of God's Word. Our faith is strengthened by asking the Spirit to help us live out this faith that He's given us. We should outgrow our desires for the flesh by growing in our desire 
for Christ. His gospel should be more and more appealing to us. And we eat and we're nourished. And we eat and we're satisfied. And we eat and we're strengthened in the gospel. And we're conformed into the image of His Son. What happens to a person who is not nourished? They die. They starve and they die. The bottom line in Paul's warning is that if you're not growing in the faith, then you're retracting and eventually you will die. There's only growth or death. Every living thing either grows or it dies. It doesn't stay stagnant. There's no leveling off. A person's body, a plant, a tree, and our faith are either growing or it will eventually die. Nourishment in the faith only comes by looking more and more to Christ and His perfect love, His obedience, and power, and His joy. That's how we are fed. In this admonition, there is hope though. Isn't our God awesome? God is gracious even in Paul's rebuke in verses 1 and 2. In verse 2, Paul says the Corinthians are not yet ready for Paul to address them as spiritual. By God's grace, it will happen. Paul assumes it will happen because what God begins, He finishes. And there's hope in that. He's saying, not yet but by the Spirit you will mature. Paul's warning about still being as infants in Christ is to believers so they will take the correcting path of humbling themselves before Christ and feast on His righteousness and His goodness and be sustained for the battles to come. Those battles that come at you and those battles that rise from within you. The first danger of perpetual spiritual immaturity is being a people who are not nourished. The second danger is not being spiritual and being considered only human. Please look with me at verses 3 and 4. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Notice how Paul's not making a statement that the Corinthians are not in the faith. He ends this passage with a question. He wants them to ponder it, to seriously consider what they're doing. If they are in the faith, then live in the faith. Live for Christ. Live in Christ. And live by the work of Christ. Telling others that you belong to Jesus, that you're a Christ follower, cannot be sustained for long for those who have self-indulgent desires and who seek self-esteem. False piety will give way to real carnality. False piety will give way to real carnality. Anyone who tries to elevate themselves are not acting like Christ. They're doing the exact opposite of Him. Rivalries and division are not traits of our Savior who humbled Himself 
even though he's the only one who's worthy of all honor. The Corinthians were not living life in the pursuit of Christ. They were living life in pursuit of its own ends. They weren't living for Christ. For Christians, each new day is given to us as a gift so that we will pursue Christ and tell others to pursue Him. In, one, in verse 1, Paul described the Corinthians as people of the flesh. They were fleshy. They were acting just like unbelievers. Unbelievers can't help but act like unbelievers. Expect sinners to act sinful. The Corinthians were new to the faith and had to learn to walk in the ways of Christ. Here in verse 3, Paul calls them fleshly. So he goes from fleshy to fleshly. They could not stop acting worldly. Let me correct myself actually. They could stop acting worldly. As believers in Christ, we have the ability by the Spirit to stop acting worldly. But they wouldn't. That's their problem. They could, but they wouldn't. The mature are spiritual. The Corinthians were characterized by the exact opposite of what Christians should be. They were being immature. They were centered on themselves, and this caused jealousy and strife. Jealousy is the desire to be recognized, to have status and possessions given to others. And strife is the result of a desire to have an advantage over others, to struggle for a superior position, both of which have a focus on self. Paul asked them, Are you not of the flesh and only behaving in a human way? Are you not being merely human? Christians who have been transformed by the Spirit based on the work of the cross are not merely human. They have the gift of the Spirit of God in them. They're new creations made in the image of the Son. They are being conformed to His likeness. They don't have only human concerns. This world is not all there is. Their eyes have been opened to the spiritual They've been made new, and the glory of Christ is their reality. How the Corinthians are acting, and the reality of who they are in Christ, don't fit. They are incongruent with each other. Christians are kept on this planet, so that they will live out the reality of who they are in Christ, and Christ will get the glory for it. He has become their focus and joy not the ways of this world or the enticements of it. The bottom line is, if you are merely human, hear me, the bottom line is, if you're merely human, then you're not spiritual. The Spirit of God does not rest within you. He is not sustaining you. New life is not a reality for you. No one can fake it. The truth always comes out. What we value is shown in how we live. Let me say that again. What we value is shown in how we live. If we value ourselves, then our lives will reflect it in a self-absorbed lifestyle 
that puts Christ and others behind us. If we value Christ, then our lives will reflect Him. We will reflect His love and His sacrifice and His grace and His mercy. What's important to Christ becomes important to us. Our status, our position, our advantage is obliterated by being identified with Christ. His status as the righteous one, His position as the Son, His advantage over sin and death all become ours. So the first danger of perpetual spiritual immaturity is being a people who are not nourished and that leads to starvation. The second danger is not being spiritual and being considered only human, which leads to this third danger of not being in fellowship with Christ. Paul said that the mature, those who have been given the wisdom of God, are given the mind of Christ, up in chapter 2, verse 16. He explained the mind of Christ as accepting the things of the Spirit, in verse 14, and discerning the ways of God, and following Christ, in verse 15. But to what end? Why are believers made to maturity? Why have we been made spiritual, and we're pursuing Christ, and growing in our faith? Why are believers given the mind of Christ? Why are we maturing into the likeness of Christ? Why is that so important? Why must our faith grow from being infants in Christ to those who think like Christ? Paul tells us in Romans 8.29, it's in order to be conformed to the image of the Son. To be conformed to the image of Christ so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We grow in Christ's likeness. We forsake our self-indulgent tendencies and our pride, so we may become more and more like him. This enables us then to be in his holy presence. Only sinless, perfect beings can be in the presence of God. And there's only one who fits that criteria, and that's Christ. Everyone then who is in Christ and is conformed in His image, they then fit the criteria. Being conformed in His image enables us to be with Christ, not just for a time, but for all eternity. That's an eternal fellowship. We're saved into fellowship with Christ. And in that fellowship, there will be rejoicing. Paul says in Romans 5.11, we rejoice in God. No reason to fear Him. We have enjoyment with Him forever. This is his goal writing to the Corinthians. This was Paul's goal in his ministry even. He sums it up beautifully in Colossians 1.28. Please turn with me there. Colossians one. Verse 28, Paul has great affection for the Corinthians. And you see this affection in every place where Paul goes. This sums up his ministry beautifully. Colossians 1, verse 28. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, 
struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For Christians to be conformed to the image of Christ so that they can be with him forever. To be with Christ, the one who never runs out of goodness, the one who never stops being loving and merciful, who never stops praying on behalf of his people, never leaves them alone, always provides hope, ensures peace, gives abundantly and freely. This is the reason for our text this morning. This is the reason to accept a rebuke if it comes your way. If it's according to the scriptures, this is the reason to be conformed to the image of Christ and to be with Christ forever, the one who does satisfy. As a missionary, Paul would go to a new town, enter the synagogue, preach the word. God would convert unbelievers into believers. They would respond in faith and repentance. Paul would disciple them so that they would grow in Christ. That was his purpose in Corinth. For the Corinthians to be conformed to the image of Christ so that they would be brought before the throne of God and enjoy God forever. This ought to be our goal. To be perpetually spiritually immature is detrimental to our soul. Perpetual spiritual adolescence will smother the ember of the eternal flame. It leads away from Christ. The danger of not maturing in our faith is that we will miss out on the eternal fellowship with Christ. We miss out on the blessing of being united with Him forever. To be separated from Christ, to not have fellowship with Him, is far worse than any problem, any conflict, or any pain in this world. And to be with Him is far greater than any possession, any achievement, or any gain from this world. Pursue Christ. Don't let sin get in the way. The spiritually mature humbly seek Christ in their life. They let their fellow brothers and sisters speak truth into their life. They add to the body and they help the church fulfill its purpose of testifying to Christ's glory. Pursue Christ. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, then there's no growth happening at all. There's only death, Scripture says. Christ is not your hope. Christ is your judge. There is hope in the not yet for the believer. The natural person is perishing. There's only death. There's no nourishment. There's no comfort. But the Spirit is a free gift from God to anyone who will repent of their sin and trust in Christ. I hope anyone here today who does not see the truth in Christ, you cannot be identified with Christ because you're not in Christ. I hope you hear God's Word and you see the reality of your sin and you see the reality of what Christ has done and you see the reality of the hope and the salvation that we have in Christ. For those of us who have accepted Christ, I pray that you will not get sucked into perpetual spiritual adolescence. 
that your sin will not turn you in a direction that leads away from Christ, but you will pursue Him with all your might, with all that you have. And our church will be strengthened by it. And our community will be better off for it. Let's pray.